Anthony Tillman Williams, better known as Tony Williams, or just Tony, because he was such a bad cat, you didn't have to say his whole name. All you had to say was Tony, and everybody knew exactly who that was. He was just bad as they come. Like they say, bad to the bone, bad to the bone. And he started out that way. Born in 1945 in Chicago. The family soon moved to Boston. At an early age, he started studying with the great percussionist and teacher, uh, Alan Dawson, who, for those drummers out there, they know about the Alan Dawson ritual. By the way, guys, there are two of them. So if you're working on the one and you're frustrated, guess what? There's a number two waiting for you, too. <laughs> Go to work, suckers. Yeah, Alan Dawson started teaching Tony at a very, very early age, very early age, to the point that at 13 years of age, the great saxophonist, uh, Sam Rivers, who actually uh, settled in Orlando uh, before his death and played uh, all over uh, the world, but most certainly played over Florida. I got to see him uh, live uh, in Gulfport uh, a few years before he died. Um, Sam Rivers, hired Tony Williams to play with him when Tony was only 13 years old. Just think about that for a minute. A 13-year-old playing with one of the most important jazz saxophonists of our day, a guy who actually played with Miles Davis. And the funny thing is, it was Tony who got Sam the job, not the other way around. Tony was a bad cat now. By 1516, uh, he's playing with Jackie McLean as well. You know, he, he's moving really, very really fast. And by 17, he is a solid member of Miles Davis's second great quintet with Tony and uh, Herbie. And, you know, it's just on and on and on. Um, Tony was known for his metric modulations and his party rhythms. Um, I remember my oldest son, Frank, being very much into the Buddy Rich school of things. Hands, hands, hands. Until he discovered uh, that second quintet with Miles Davis and Tony Williams and got into all of the cymbal uh, work Tony was doing, the party rhythms and uh, playing across the bar and stuff like that. and realized that there was a brave new world out there. Tony Williams had created that world for everybody. Uh, just kind of took what Elvin and guys like that were doing and took it to the next level. Uh, Tony was probably um, the most influential drummer in creating the next wave of uh, jazz drumming as anybody. And he had a platform uh, to really be impactful in that Miles Davis group. He stayed in the group until it um, actually ended and um, was in the group uh, as part of the fusion uh, trans, uh, transfer as well from straight ahead to fusion. And soon Tony was putting together his own fusion group that was known as the Tony Williams Lifetime. Um, we had a very important guitarist, uh, John McLaughlin, 
who would later be used by Miles Davis in a silent way in Beecher Brew and many other projects, and uh, Jack Bruce, who had been the bass player for a group called The Cream. Not many people realize that uh, The Cream with Eric Clapton and uh, Ginger Baker and Jack Bruce were pretty much uh, two jazz musicians and a blues guitarist. Um, Rockers probably don't want to hear that, but that's a fact. Okay. Uh, and then Larry Young on organ uh, filled that group out. Um, they did a couple albums and it was great and uh, pretty soon uh, Jack Bruce and John left to do their own thing. Mahavis Orchestra worked with um, uh, other groups, other projects. And Tony uh, replaced uh, John with uh, Alan Holdsworth and uh, I think Larry Young stayed on for a while and they had a new uh, Tony Williams' uh, Lifetime. Uh, Tony also did um, a couple of, uh, how shall we call these, um, Remembrance albums uh, based on Miles Davis. One uh, group, uh, VSOP, was simply the Miles Davis second quintet without Miles Davis, uh, Freddie Hubbard uh, sitting on trumpet. That's the VSOP. There are at least two albums out there, and I know at least one of them is a live album, and I'm telling you now, it's worth hearing, and to hear what Tony Williams was able to do uh, soloing on just toms. I mean, like, it's the most melodic drum solo I've ever heard. Um, you need to check out the VSOP stuff. Uh, Tony's played acoustically there, and it's just wonderful stuff, and of course, all the other cast is uh, wonderful as well. Tony continued to do his fusion for quite some time, and then in 1985 or so, uh, he returned to Blue Note and uh, to do some acoustic recording with uh, Mulgrew Miller and um, I think Wallace Roney may have been on that one, uh, a couple other guys. And um, soon after that, uh, Tony formed an acoustic group of his own that included um, Mulgrew and Wallace Roney with Billy Pierce who uh, teaches at uh, Berkeley right now, uh, tenor saxophone, and um, uh, Jeanette Moffitt on bass, uh, who was replaced by um, another bass player soon uh, after Jeanette uh, went to do his solo career as well. But Tony was back into um, uh, great uh, acoustic jazz. Ira was the other bass player, European guy who um, he used. Now, Tony uh, was a very unusual guy. You would see him and you go, yeah, black guy. Then you go, I don't know, man, look at those eyes. What is this cat anyway? Well, for those who have some curiosity about why Tony looked like he looked, he was African, he was Portuguese, which means that he could very well have been Brazilian. But he also had Chinese in his bloodline. And that would explain the eyes that people were kind of confused at. So um, Tony had a very rich uh, uh, cultural background and uh, he used all of that diversity in his background uh, to uh, play the diverse rhythmic components that set up his unique style of drumming. Uh, Tony went in 
for a very simple, I think, thyroid um, operation or something uh, in California at the age of uh, 52. And unfortunately, he died of complications from that surgery, I think a heart attack. And at 52, we lost, um, we lost a really great drummer, a great human being. Uh, you need to know that uh, Tony was living in California because he'd gotten away from the city and he was actually fully engaged in education, teaching uh, in uh, California. He had taken up the mantle that um, Alan Dawson had uh, presented him with when he taught him as a young child. So Tony was playing it forward uh, when his life came uh, to a very unexpected end. The best way to deal with Tony Williams is to go listen to his music. What is it is acoustic music or fusion or even what might be called rock as uh, he did with his trio of doom with uh, John McLaughlin and Jocko Pastorius on bass. Man, what a trio that was. Tony Williams, John McLaughlin, and Jocko Pastorius. Yeah, they did that as a uh, one-time performance uh, at the Havana Jazz Festival. Yeah, Cuba does have it going on. Uh, Cuba really does have it going on. And uh, there may be some uh, recordings of that group. Uh, I most certainly did not get there. I live in America. But um, a lot of people did find a way to sneak into Havana to check that thing out. And the word is they were called the Trio of Doom because, man, were they absolutely electric and unbelievable. Anthony Tillman Williams, playing professionally at 13 with Miles Davis at 17, leading his own groups in his early 20s and going to another plane of existence at 52. Thank you very much, Tony, for showing us the path of the future of jazz drumming. And thank you very much for listening.